0: She's Lawrence, but I, I do get that mixed up. So he is he is not here this week. And you get me as a fill-in. Uh, we've been talking about Daniel, um, coming towards the end of the book of Daniel, where there are all these visions. And uh, we will be touching on the second vision that Daniel had um, that, he, um, that he had in the in the reigns of the Babylonian kings and in the Persian kings. Um, Lawrence has been preaching on, on, on Daniel. Um, and then we have George Steg, um, Our other pastor has been preaching at the other site on Revelations. Uh, soon they are going to be swapping places, and George will come here and preach on Revelations to us. Great tie-in, uh, starting with Daniel, moving into Revelations. And so that should be a very nice, uh, a nice transition. I've got to get one thing set up here, sorry. I'm not texting. <laughs> All right, Um, so today we are going to be talking about living and waiting in darkness. And um, so we live in a time here in 2017 where most of us have access to information about the world around us and all the things that are going on. With this information, we can read about powerful and sometimes evil things that are happening across the globe. We can look to the Middle East, we can look to China, we can look to Russia, we can look to our own country. And it is easy to despair, and it's easy to fear, the darkness in this world, and the darkness uh, that has come, that will come, the darkness that will come to the world of our children. Uh, Whether we look at the powerful countries that we see around us, or the powerful rulers, or destructive ideologies, or religions, um, or changes in philosophy of culture, we can easily fear. And it is easy to look at this moment of time and feel like it is. This is the, the end is very near, and it may be. We may be at the end of time. But history and scripture, if we look at the course of history, and if we look in scripture, we can see that, um, that scripture gives us a warning, that there have been powerful rulers, and there have been dangerous ideologies, and there has been evil in this world for centuries, since the dawn of civilization. Um, Many of which have caused harm to God's people, to us, to the Jewish nation. Um, But our hope is in an everlasting kingdom. Our hope is in a power that is greater than any earthly power. And I think that's what Daniel is getting at here in, um, in, in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, we are specifically going to be in, in chapter 8 of Daniel. So let's read um, Daniel. Um, we're going to be... Um, there are no... I do not have any text up here. On, um, Lawrence has been giving you the whole scripture to read and follow on the slide. I don't have that. There are Bibles on the aisle if you want to follow along. Uh, we are going to start in Daniel 8. Um, if you um, have your own Bible on your phone, great, take that out. If you have the old-fashioned Bible... Uh, you can uh, you can read that um, as well, but follow along with me. We're going to start in chapter eight of Daniel, uh, and there's this vision. There's a vision of a ram, and there's a vision of a goat. We're going to look at what that has to say to us today. Okay, Daniel eight verse one, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. After that, which appeared to me at the first, and I saw this vision, and when I saw it, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one over um, came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. And as I was considering behold a male goat from the west um, came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground and and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him with powerful wrath. I um, I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram, and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, and he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So we have this picture. We have a ram, which has two horns, who's very powerful, who goes to the east, goes to the west, goes to the north, goes to the south. And is, and nobody can um, stand before this ram. And the ram is proud, the ram is powerful and is able to take and nobody can be rescued from the power of the ram except for this goat, which is a flying goat uh, that is coming uh, from the east and this goat comes, and has one horn and it comes to the ram and it breaks the ram. The ram can't stand in the goat's power. The goat is much powerful than, ram, than the ram and the ram is trampled on and nobody can even save the ram because of the goat's power. But the horn of the goat Breaks, and there's these four other horns that come up. I'm gonna skip the text now and go to the interpretation of the ram and the goat. The text is very clear on who the ram is and who the goat is. Uh, nowhere, I, I don't think anywhere else in Scripture is it as clear as it is in this, um, in this chapter. And so we're gonna go with the historical evidence that we have of what this, this is talking about. So let's move to um, 8, chapter 15. Uh, where the, um, an angel appears to Daniel and explains the uh, vision. So when I, Daniel, this is fi- verse 15, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard the man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and I called, Gabriel, make this man understand this vision. And he came near where I stood. And when, I ca- when he came, I was frightened and I fell on my face. But he said, Understand, O son of man, that this vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me, and he made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place which four others rose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power." So this explains, um, explains the vision. The ram represents Persia, the kingdom of Persia. Now, at this time, um, Daniel is in the king, uh, the king is a Babylonian king, Belshazzar. We heard about this, the handwriting on the wall. Uh, and, and that's King Belshazzar, the great grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and the, Belshazzar is the last king of, of Babylon. Persia going to come in, destroy Babylon, or at least take over Babylonian empire and become the empire of the day. Uh, and uh, so that ram represents that it is a combination of the medes and the persians that's why there's two horns great and powerful empire that really um, reached the whole earth at that time at least in the middle east The the, the goat that comes flying is greece and the text clearly says the goat is greece and the goat comes flying in, and, and um, that flying in um, very accurately represents what... Alec- and this, this, this vision that, we, that Daniel had is many, many years before these events happened, but it very accurately represents Alexander the Great coming in and destroying uh, and, and taking over Persia. He conquered so much, so quickly. And that was that line. And he was Alexander the Great, and the, the Greek empire was very powerful and very great. But after, after a very short time, at a very young age for a king, Alexander the Great was destroyed. At least he died. And in his place, four kings took over, and, and the Greek empire got broken up into four kings, four of the generals of Alexander the Great. That's what we know from history. And it really clearly corresponds to the scriptures. And the text is very clear that these are what it is. But the angel also says this is about the end of the time, end of the age. This is about the end of time. It's, it says that this is going to happen. This is this is this these are visions. Really, the the main point of these visions is about the very end. And the very end is not the Greek Empire. We know that. We live in an age where we know the Greek Empire is not the end of the age. And so these visions are representing types. We have the Persian Empire. We have the Greek Empire. Very accurately described here. But they are types of kingdoms that will be repeated throughout history. And we will see how that happens. And we are living in an age where we have empires and we have rulers and we have kings um, among us. So um, we are living in those ages. The next part of the text, though, is what the chapter 8, the main message of chapter 8, really has to do with this. It's not about this great Alexander the uh, the Great. It really isn't about Alexander the Great. It is more about what happens next, this little horn. Out of these four kings comes a little horn. So let's read the text about this little horn. Starting at verse 8 again, let's read... Um, um, going backwards, we'll read about 8. We'll read the vision, and then we'll read the interpretation of the vision. In verse 8, then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it came up four conspicuous horns from the four, towards the four winds of heaven. So Alexander the Great was broken, and four generals replaced him. Out of one of these came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Now here, the glorious land, in some transcriptions, the beautiful land, in some translations, it says directly, this is Jerusalem. So we're talking, this is the the people of God, this is the kingdom of of Israel in Jerusalem. Uh, So there is something going to happen in the glorious land. This little horn, it grew great, even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground, and it trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the, uh, prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it all toge- uh, together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and it prosper. And then I heard the Holy One speak, and another Holy One said to the one who spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. So we have this little horn that appears, and the little horn attacks and overcomes the beautiful place, Jerusalem, and attacks the very things of God. It's not just a power that is overtaking the earth, but it is attacking and confronting God and the heavenly places and everything that is, um, is there. And so we have this picture of a little horn with great power, but this power will end because he, 2,300 evenings and mornings, there's a limited time for the power of this little horn. So look at the translation, uh, the interpretation of that, starting in verse, um, we'll start in verse 23 with that. And later, at the later end of their kingdom, this is referring to the four kings. When their, tra- their transgressions have reached their limit, a king of bold face, who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but not by no human hand, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been told is true. but seal up this vision for it refers to many days from now. So we got this picture of this little horn that's going to arise and, ta- and attack the saints, the people of God, attack the temple, attack God himself, and attack the spiritual forces of good in this. And it's going to be allowed to do that. Um, if we look at history, um, we do have, um, if, you, if you look at history, um, the Daniel is in the period of Babylonian captivity, which was 70 years. His people, the Israelites, were taken out of Jerusalem into Babylon. Bab- um, Persia eventually took that over. And as Cyrus was king of Persia, the people were allowed to return. There's a 70 year exile away from Jerusalem. But through Ezra and Nehemiah, people returned to the land. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple. They restarted sacrifice in the temple and the worship of Yahweh and the law in the temple. And so that all was reestablished during the the Persian Empire. When Greece came, that was still allowed. And for for centuries, the um, Israelites Israelites were able to worship and have a temple and have sacrifice in, um, in Jerusalem. Uh, but then there arises, and this is, this is true historical thing, there arises one of the kings of the, of the Greek empire, of the, four, uh, um, of the four sections of the empire that were broken, one of these kings, um, and in history is Antiochus Epiphanes, arose, and he was in charge of Jerusalem. And he, Epiphanes, the name Epiphanes, means um, God made manifest. So Antiochus gave himself this name, God made manifest that he is God himself, or at least he's going to bring God, and you need to worship him in order to worship God. Uh, and um, what he did is he banned any religious activity other than the, the worship of the Greek gods. In Jerusalem, he attacked the temple. He took over the temple. He banned circumcision, which is a right for the Jewish people. He stopped sacrifices in the temple. So they could no longer sacrifice. He blocked that all out. He killed worshipers of Yahweh who continued to try to worship. As a joke, he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the holy place of the temple uh, and sacrificed that pig because uh pig was an unclean animal for the Jewish people. I'm uh, thinking that was funny. He took a statue of Zeus, erected it in the Holy of Holies of the temple, made people come in and bow down to the statue of, of, of Zeus. He made war with God. Uh, and with God, with God himself. And with the spiritual forces um, that are going on. Um, that is what happened in history. And again, this is not really about just Antiochus Ep- epiphanies. It is about the end of time. And what is going to be happening under this? But there's this little horn that arises that has great power and is allowed to have destruction on God's people. So the picture that Daniel, I think Lawrence talked about this last week. We have this picture of these powerful and great rulers in the Persian and Greek empire and people who do very powerful things and people who do very evil things and have great control and power. And, and this is our earthly view of things. We can look at our history books, and we can see things that, that have happened in the course of time with kingdoms and rulers and empires. And it's happening right now. We see this earthly thing. But what Daniel's vision is, is there something else? There's this spiritual realm that is, that is going on as well. Uh, and the spiritual realm is not heaven. Not just heaven, not this place where God is distant and looking down and seeing things and every once in a while doing something and then stepping back. There is an overarching um, influence of this spiritual realm in our physical realm. And I'd like to think about this, that we have this earthly realm and there's this spiritual realm that aren't separate, but they're really together. It's just we don't see this in our everyday life. We don't see it as we go to work. We don't see it as we... Check, our, check the news on our smartphones. Uh, we don't see it uh, when we go to vote. We don't see it in the daily things of life. But there really is this spiritual force of God and his, his powers in this life, in this realm that we have. And this is happening. So there is a spiritual dimension. There is a physical, earthly dimension that are happening. And God allows these powers and these rulers... And he is over all. There was a beginning of creation, and there will be an end of creation. And God, the maker of the universe, has really been in charge of it all. But during that time, very powerful and very evil things have been happening in cycles throughout all of history. And we get to things that are so terrible like the little horns that it it seems impossible and it seems like the end is here and that evil has triumphed, or at least it has triumphed for this time, and that we wonder what is God in the business of doing? Is he really here, is he in our times, or is this gonna be all wiped away? What is our response uh, to that? And so what I would like to do is look at um, comparing this little horn. Because this, this text is really about the little horn. With the little horn compared to God's people. And in the text, and really in the New Testament, God's people are called the saints. So the little horn and God's people. In the, uh, I also want to compare the little horn to Jesus. Uh, and who is the everlasting king. And also compare the little horn to you and me. Today, in 2017, how does the little horn affect us today? So, uh, little horn versus God's people. What is God in the business of doing? What is he doing from the beginning of creation to, to now? What is God in the business of doing? He is in the business of establishing his people. He is in the bu- business of making a people who are distinct and separate and holy, devoted to Him. Um, God, this is this is God's 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 hope is that He will have a people, who are His people, and He, Yahweh, the God of the universe, will be their God. So God will be their God and his people will be his people. And there's a distinctness about this, and there's an exclusivity about this that is special relationship that God desires with all his people. We see this in the beginning um, with um, Adam and Eve, but we see it in Abraham, where God came to Abraham and said, your descendants will be as, as, as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And I am making a covenant with you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And, God, and, and Abraham was considered God's friend because of this covenant that he made with him. We see this in Moses and the Exodus where the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and this people of a million people going through the wilderness into the promised land and Moses and the establishment of the law for them. The law was not there to give people rules to follow. The law was there to draw them to God so that they would be a distinct people. And God would be their God and and um, they would be his, their people. And the Israelite nation was born with that. There's this exclusivity of, of God and his people. Um, in, in fact, Exodus, the, the main point of that is the tabernacle, which is God with us. God has come to his people and there is a special, distinct relationship with them. We can see this in the kingdom. Uh, David, as the the highlight of that kingdom, where his, he was a man after God's heart. And, da, and God set up a covenant with David saying, through your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And we see that in David and his kingship and in those things like that. We can see that in the church today after Jesus died and rose again. He established for himself a church, a people of God. We are his bride, We are his people and he is our God. And there is this exclusivity and distinctness about the people of God. God is in the business of making a people. But in that business of making people, we, the Israelites, have failed. We follow after these other things. And if you look at the stories of the Old Testament, you look at the stories in history, you look at us right now. You can see this, that there is a falling away. The Israelites would follow after other gods. They would sacrifice to other gods. No longer was Yahweh, the, the God of the universe, their God. They had other gods. And they were no longer their pe- God's people, but they would follow the customs of the nations around them and desire to be like everybody else and no longer a distinct people. Um, and so God exiles them. And God exiles his people, not for good, but he chooses to have them go away. And we see exiles in different ways. In in Daniel, the exile really is an exile away from the land that God has given them into the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire, and they are separated from the plan that God had for them. So we see an exile um, the Assyrians... Uh, The Assyrian Empire would exile the Israelites. The Babylonian Empire, through God's work, and his his work in all of history, exiles them. In the little horn that we have in this text, there is an exiling. There is a stopping of the worship of God in his temple. Um, And this is something that God is allowing. But in all of these cases, God also restores God returns the people to the land. He returns the captives who are in exile in Babylon back to the land. He brings Jesus and returns us back to Him, and we are in that same position. So we have the saints, we have God's holy people, um, but we have the little horns. And this little horn is not Antiochus Epiphanes only but it is, a, it is a type because this vision is about the end of the age. And so we have this type, these little horns that will arise who will have direct attack on God's people and on the things of God and on God himself. Um, Belshazzar. A few weeks ago, uh, Lawrence preached on the handwriting on the wall. He took the very precious goblets and instruments of the temple and had a party and orgy with them. He attacked God and the very holy things of God. He was a type. We have Antiochus Epiphanes, who have already explained. In uh, the Roman Empire, we have Nero, who attacked God's people, attacked Jerusalem, attacked Christians. Um, the successor of Nero destroyed the temple and, uh, uh, and Jerusalem. There was a direct attack on the people of God. And we can see this through many things in history. Maybe the the most obvious recent one is Hitler and his attack on the Jewish people uh, in in that. Interesting enough, enough, just after that, they were returned to the land and then the nation of Israel was established. Um, So there is this attack that comes on the people of God through these little horns Um, in our day-to-day we can probably imagine some attacks that are happening. These little horns that are rising up in our world. Um, kings and rulers who are boastful and arrogant and powerful who seek harm to God's people and God's rule. There's nations who do evil. There's cultural ideals that, and philosophies that are attacking God's people and God's ways and God's holy things. But the text here is, there is an, uh, there's 2,300 evenings and mornings that this little horn is able to, able to attack. Uh, but the little horn will be destroyed, not by human hands. And it is a little horn. We have this earthly dimension, this earthly realm that seems unbearable at times, But there is this spiritual realm that is in our midst. And there is something going on. There is, God is in the business of doing something. And it has been happening since the beginning of time. And it will continue to happen at the end of time, despite the little horns. And he also allows these little horns in our life. So why does God allow these little horns? There is a need. Uh, the people of God, the saints of God, forget. We forget, the Israelites forgot. We forget that God is our God. And we go after these things that is not God. Whether it is actual idols and, uh, that, and gods that, we, uh, that are made out of stone and wood that we worship. Or whether it's these things that we worship like money and sex. We go after these other things. Uh, and God is no longer our God, and we are no longer his people. We are not his saints, his distinct people, who are, are different and set apart for him. And so there is this break of this relationship of God and his people, not what he desires. He desires that. He's in the business of bringing these two together. So we see a pattern, and this pattern is throughout the Bible, of exile but restoration. God exiles his people for a time, but he also restores them. He's in the business of restoring them. So what is he really, what is God in the business of doing in the big picture through Jesus Christ? He's bringing about his kingdom. So how does the little horn compare to the everlasting king? Jesus Christ. God's kingdom that he is establishing from the beginning of time to the end is the restoration of this earth, this cursed earth, to himself, and the restoration of his people to himself under the authority of the true everlasting king. This kingdom is our hope. This kingdom is our rest. This kingdom is a place where God is our God, and we are his people. God is in the business of bringing about this eternal kingdom that will never end. And he's doing that now, and he's doing that for the end of time. So we see that we have Jesus, the everlasting king, and we have these little horns. And sometimes it seems like the little horns are a bit more powerful than Jesus himself. So let's remind ourselves that the little horns are not, they cannot compare to Jesus. First of all, a little horn has power and authority, but only over a little and for a little time. Time is limited for the little horn, and the extent of his power is limited for the little horn. Instead, we have Jesus, who is given power and authority over everything. He is the everlasting king who has all power and authority and that will never end. We look at the little horn who is boastful and mocks God. Antiochus Epiphanes mocked God. In his boastfulness and power mocks God. On the other hand, we have Jesus who humbles himself and becomes obedient. To God the Father, the maker of the universe, and instead gets lifted up so that at his name, every knee should bow to him. But he humbled himself. The little horn dismisses people who are of low estate, dismisses the people of God, dismisses people and kills them. Jesus looks at those who are of low estate and lifts their burdens. And raises them up and makes them princes and princesses in his kingdom with him. The little horn is allowed by God to bring his people to repentance. Jesus is used by God to redeem his people and restore them. The little horn lasts only for a little while. Jesus is the everlasting king. The little horn is broken by a power that is not by human hand. In the text, it clearly says that. And his power is never to return. Jesus is broken on the cross through sin and death, dies but is restored and brought to life again and has full victory over sin and death and all things. The little horn uh, is our hope is not in the little horn. We cannot hope in little horns or the destruction of little horns because this is only temporary. Instead, our hope is in Jesus and this final restoration of what he is doing in his kingdom. So while there are these little horns in our lives, and if you imagine yourself, in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, doing this in the very temple, that is, all, that, that is nothing to fear or despair of, because there is an everlasting king, and God is a business of doing something much more and much powerful than that. So finally, uh, looking at um, the little horn, and us what is God in the business of doing what what is happening and how are we to respond to these these um, horns these little horns in our lives uh, God is in the business of establishing his everlasting kingdom where the everlasting King Jesus Christ who is far above any horn that has ever existed in the history of humans who has authority over all and where his people are his people and, and, we, and, and he is our God. God is in, a sta- is in the business of establishing that. But when we look at our lives today, we can live in a place where Jesus is king because Jesus is king right now and he has all power and authority right now. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus is given the rule and authority over everything. Jesus is sitting on the throne. Jesus, and, 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 and it says in Ephesians that we are sitting there with him on this throne. Um, if we could really see this spiritual realm and what God is doing and what has already happened, we should have hope. So the, the, the victory has been won. God has, Jesus has conquered everything. But if we really look at this world and we look at things that are going on, if we look at little horns and we look at evil and we look at the victory is not fully realized and we know that there is something missing. We do not, first of all, we don't see the eternal spiritual realm and what it's really doing in, this, in, in, in our earth and in our daily lives. And we lose sight of God and what he's in the business of doing. But there is still a final restoration of all things because we hope and we know in the victory that Jesus has right now but there is a hope that we can have in the final restoration and establishment of his kingdom that has yet to come so it's difficult to live in this balance when one hand it's done it is finished we are there we rest in God and have victory in Christ on the other hand it's not done at least not completely and the full victory is still to come, and the final victory is still to come. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, in Casa of Discipleship at the very end, talks about Christians. And he uses this term saints for Christians. In Daniel, he uses the term saints. If you look in the New Testament, the term referred to Christians more often is saints. If you trust in Jesus Christ, we are the saints, which really means the separated ones, the distinct ones, the set apart ones for God. It doesn't use the term righteous. We are not the righteous in the New Testament. Um, even though we have righteousness through Jesus Christ, we are made innocent and we are made right with Him. But the term referred is more often saints. Um, and it's definitely, we are not called sinners. We have been made right, and we have been made clear. And so there's this holy separateness of vision of that. And while we are the righteous because of what Christ has done, thinking of this term saints, um, Bonhoeffer really tries to get us to, to look at what does that mean if we really think of ourselves as saints. As saints, we've been judged, and we've been found innocent because of what Jesus has done. But if we rest in that innocence and hope only in heaven because we are saved, we're going to go to heaven, then we miss the point of what we've been called to. We're called to be saints. As saints, we are separated from this world that we live in, this earthly, physical world that we see going on where there is evil and where there is uh, Um, a culture that is opposed to God in many ways. Um, We are separate um, in our calling, but we're also called as saints to walk in this world with hope, to walk alongside the world in hope. We have hope of this future that we have. Saints, um, As saints, we walk in a manner worthy of the holiness of God. But we are to hope in the final restoration because we fail in walking in that holiness. But but our identity is that we are saints. Uh, we um, this is a quote from Bonhoeffer: We are not sinners, who are required to become holy. But we are saints, who are required to be holy through Jesus Christ. We're not sinners. are required to become holy through our actions and through our efforts uh, to become more like Jesus, but we are saints already, and we're required to be holy through Jesus, Uh, and so there is a differentness about living as a saint uh, than living as a sinner, uh, than as living as a righteous and possibly arrogant uh, per person, and so that um, that distinction um, Bonhoeffer draw- draws. So we have here, um, we are um, we are um, we have little horns. We have evil in our midst, um, whatever that form takes in this world. and and, and I want to think about the little horn more on a big scale, a global scale, instead of just you know, something individual that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, and we have that. And sometimes that's overwhelming. But often, we fear and despair on the big global things that are going on in this world. And I think this, this is speaking to, to that. Do we despair when we see these things? Do we fear what is happening or what's going to happen to the future? Then our hope, really not, is not in Christ, Do we see a need to stand up against the little horn in defiance and attack? Then we really aren't trusting in Jesus because the little horn is going to fall, not by human hands, not by human effort. It's going to fall. Uh, It will not last and God's people will be restored. Do we ignore little horns and separate ourselves from the world and what God is really in the business of doing? Then our hope really isn't in Christ because we are not living and walking as saints. Instead, if we are already the holy people of God and live as saints... If we live as saints and our hope is in this final victory, then this is where our hope lies in what Christ has done in in that. And so the call here is for us to see the things that are going around us, be mindful of them, and not ignore it, but live as saints in this world, but not fear and dread and think, that we have to do something that God is not doing already, but live in that hope. I'm going to close by praying um, the Lord's Prayer, Uh, but but thinking about this in this big global context of what God is in the business of doing, which is establishing his kingdom and his rule through the everlasting King, Jesus Christ. There's victory now, and there will be a final restoration of all things at the end of time. And maybe understanding that his, the Lord's Prayer will make a little bit more, um, have, a, have a little bit more richness to it. So let me pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, in the spiritual realm that we do not see, thy will be done, or uh, holy be your name, holy be your name, thy will be done Thy kingdom come on earth. Just as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation. And dear Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the little horns. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory, for never and ever. Amen. All right, so if you're um, not new to Twin Cities Church, after... (coughs)